Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. What are your spiritual gifts? In today's teaching, Pastor Nate reveals how we discover our individual giftings for the benefit of our corporate body. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there. This morning, we're jumping back into, in one sense, a mini-series within another series. We've been looking at the Holy Spirit and the gifts He gives over the last couple weeks as part of a broader series that we're calling Church Matters, Life Together in and for Jesus. The goal of this series is seeking to recover and continually rediscover who Jesus has called us to be as his people. Because the reality is for some of us, maybe you've been following Jesus for years and you think you know what following Jesus means. It would be very easy to slip into patterns that would be very, very unhealthy as a Christian. And maybe for some of you, you are new at following Jesus and you don't know what it means to be part of his body, the church. So for all of us, this series, Church Matters, is calling us back again to see the story that Jesus has called us into. And as I said, we've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit. We looked first off at who the Spirit is as the personal empowering presence of God, who, as a result of Jesus' victory, has now given us gifts that we use. We saw last week that the gifts are for each person. The gifts are not just for some spiritually elite people. No, the gifts are for anyone who has made a profession of faith in Jesus. There's gifts that involve serving. There's gifts that involve speaking. There's gifts that involve using special skills. There's gifts that involve simply being a good encourager. Today, we are going to be specifically looking at how do you know how you are gifted? How do you know and discern in what ways the Spirit has gifted each one of you? What are the practical ways that we not just discern how we're gifted, but actually live out of our gifting and find our place in the story? What we're going to see is that when a whole body is working together, movement in life will happen. But when it doesn't, either for a human body or for a body of people on a mission together, absolute disaster is the result when a body does not work together. This week, I heard a story that I was not even planning on listening to, but it directly relates to this idea of a body not working together. I came across an account of a group of people on a mission who failed to act as a body, who failed to fully understand how each part was supposed to work together. This week, I listened to an audiobook about General Custer and the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Does anyone know that story? There's this book called The Last Stand by a historian named Nathaniel Philbrick. I would highly recommend it if you're a history nerd like me. But does anybody know the story of General Custer? Back in 1876, really not that long ago, the U.S. government was seeking to take land from the Native American Indians who were being led by Chief Sitting Bull, and they were not going to come in. They were telling them, you guys have to come in, live on these reservations, you can't have this land anymore, and the Indians were like, we're sticking to our land. A lot of them left the reservation, joined Sitting Bull uh, out in the Dakotas. And so General Custer and a group of several hundred men, horse soldiers, 
went out to round up these. They didn't try to go necessarily slaughter all of them. They were going out to round them up and take them back to the reservation. Does anyone know what happened in that battle? Massive slaughter. Custer and his entire regiment were completely destroyed. To a man, completely destroyed. And what struck me most about the story as I was listening to it, again, after having just preached about the gifts on Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was on a road trip with my dad, and we were listening to this audiobook. I just thought, the story didn't have to end that way. It didn't have to go down like that. But due to extreme arrogance, General Custer decided to push ahead of his reinforcements. The mule trains were really slow. They're carrying all the ammunition. They're carrying all the extra food and water. They're too slow. We need to get ahead of them completely left behind, a very vital part of the body. Due to fear of not catching all the Indians, he pushed ahead. He disagreed with different soldiers who were trying to give different directions. There were so many disagreements within the leadership. One guy actually just got drunk when the fighting started. One guy decided he hated another guy so much that he was just going to try to do something completely different. They all lost the big picture. They all lost what truly was needing how they were supposed to work together. They're different components, different giftings, different types of soldiers, including the really slow mule trains. They had actually worked together. That mission might have gone very different. But it didn't. And they met with complete disaster. And for many of them, for the rest of their lives, they tried to place blame on somebody else. And I know in many ways that's just a simple example. But if we as a church fail to recognize and utilize our gifting, if we allow arrogance or poor leadership or lack of rightly using our gifts, we too will meet with disaster. Because if you look at any example of a church failing, a church shutting down, a church ceasing to exist, I would bet you, you will find in that church a real lack of understanding of how the gifts work together. So, sorry, that's a pretty heavy illustration. In light of that, let's heed the word of God and listen to what God has to say about the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to be in a different passage. We've been in Ephesians 4. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I've asked Louis and Desiree if they would be willing to come forward and read this passage for us. We're going to be starting in verse 4. This is going to be a little bit of a longer passage. So that's why I've asked both of them to come. And uh, oh, it's just going to be Desiree. Okay, great. Now there are varieties, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, there, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, there, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher, the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Awesome. Thank you so much. What we're going to see today is that the future of redemption depends on recognizing how each of us has been gifted. But thank God, it doesn't depend on us doing that because the Spirit is for us, is with us, and is actually going to help us in this task. So let me pray and we'll jump into this. Jesus, we do ask that you, by the power of your Spirit, the fact that your Word is alive and active, would that alive and active Word speak to us today? God, would we hear not the words of a mere broken man in me, but would your people today, Jesus, hear you in the text of Scripture? God, I ask for help. Uh, even knowing this is a hard week of sermon prep and feeling weak, I ask for your help, God, to communicate clearly. I ask, Spirit, that you would help each part of your body here at Redemption Church to know how they are gifted, and not just how they are gifted, but what part they play in the greater story of God. Jesus, thank you for this amazing passage of Scripture that we get to look at now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, today specifically, we are going to be looking at how we discover we are gifted. But first, what I want us to do is just kind of look at a little bit of the logic in this passage. It's pretty, it's pretty irrefutable to see very clearly what Paul is actually saying here in this passage. In a lot of places, Paul can be confusing. Here, this is really pretty straightforward. So let's just look at some of the flow and the logic of what Paul is saying. Look back at verse 4. He's saying, as we've already seen in Ephesians, that there are many gifts but they all point to the one God. Verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord, the same Jesus. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. The point he's making is that gifting is for unity. Paul is saying the same thing here that he was saying back in Ephesians 4, which we've been looking at the previous two weeks, that the many gifts all point to the one God. Look at verse 7. 
Paul is saying that we experience God through our gifting. When our gifts are rightly used, we experience God's goodness and his grace. When someone expresses love and care and compassion for you, you know that God himself is actually showing that love and that compassion for you. One time in my life when I saw this most clearly is uh, several years ago when Pastor Scott and his kids lost their uh, wife and mom, when Shelly passed away. Really, really hard season. Still really hard to walk through that. But to this day, Scott says, I saw God show up. The compassion the mercy, the goodness of God showed up and my family experienced God through his people. The people of God with compassion, the people of God willing to be a presence, sitting there with them, loving them, continually showing them God's not left you. And you're going to see that through us, his people. That's just one example of how God shows up through his people. Look at verses 8, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. Paul is saying that the Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. For some people, you get one type of gifting. For another, you would get a different type of gifting. Notice verse 11. Who portions out the different measures of gifting? It's the Spirit. It's not up to you to determine those things. The Spirit empowers gifts, look at what it says, according to his will. He's doing the giving of gifts according to his will, according to his kindness to you. Friends, you've got to catch the significance of this. It would be really easy to move on quickly through this. If we understood this, you would stop hating how God made you you would actually be able to celebrate all of the weird, quirky things in your life that you're really good at. You would be able to say, God, I don't need to stop looking at them and saying, oh, I, just, I wish I was like them. They've just got all those gifts, and I just, I just got this. Friend, God wired you to be that way. He gave you those gifts. He poured into you by his spirit certain giftings and capacities that he wants you to use. But you're just over here like, oh, man, I wish I was like him. What are you talking about? God in his infinite wisdom gave you exactly what he wanted you to have. If you realize that, that will completely change the way you think about your life. That will completely change the way you think about life with Jesus and his people. Think about it. We would be a group of people who can celebrate who we are. Instead of continually saying, oh, well, we're not like that church, or my pastors aren't like that pastor, or my MC's not like this MC. Do you you see the folly of that? Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He is saying that we have all been put into this new family. We're, just no, we're no longer these autonomous units that just kind of do our own thing. We, you know, we all just follow Jesus in our own ways. If you said that to Paul, he would look, you like, look at you like you're crazy. You are brought into the family of Jesus to be part of the body. And what is it that puts us into the body, he says? It's through our baptism. 
So shameless plug, if you have not yet been baptized, it's not just an individual decision you make. You get baptized into the family of Jesus, into the mission of Jesus. You do that through baptism, he's saying. Verse 14, the body's not full of all the same parts. The body's not all eyes. The body's not all knees. The body's not all spines. That would be terrible. So then Paul, as he's working out this logic, says that the body does not function if any parts are missing. Verse 18, he's highlighting the worth and the value of each gifting, that God chose you. He chose your gift set. This is where we actually find our true worth in our personhood, that we are made in the image of God. And how do we reflect God? Through our gifting. That's how you show the world and show each other what God is like through our diverse giftings. And then in the conclusion of this passage, verses 27 through 31, Paul asks this series of redundant questions, and the answer is just no, no, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all apostles? No. And he's saying, because the point is not that everybody should be one of them. There are many giftings, and even those other giftings like apostles and prophets, even they don't have all of the gifts. So what is Paul doing here? In a quick overview of this, he's showing us not just how the gifts work, but it's around the gifts that we organize our life together for mission with Jesus. He's saying to Corinth, guys, you got to figure out how you all are gifted so you can now organize your life as Jesus' people in Corinth. What do you think he would say to us, is saying to us through this passage? He's saying, Redemption Church, you guys got to figure out how you're gifted so that you can do life together in Hampton Roads. Hampton Roads, in many ways, looks just like Corinth, and in many ways, looks nothing like Corinth. In Corinth, you could probably walk to your friend's house. I doubt many of you can walk to your friend's house. You probably don't have to sit through hours of awful traffic on that terrible bridge they're trying to build. We'll be here for like 20 years before it's done. Just kidding, hopefully. Not, not that long. But you see what I'm saying? We've got to figure out ways to do life here. We've got to figure out how our giftings get played out here right now. So in light of that, this is what I want us to spend time on now. How do we discern and use our gifts? What are your gifts? Start thinking about that, but then also think about this. When are your gifts for? What day of the week are they for? When are they supposed to get used? For some of you, you might know how you're gifted. You might say, you know, I've been following Jesus for a long time, kind of know myself, I know how I'm wired. You might know different ways that he's called you into your gifts. For others of you, maybe you have no idea how you're gifted. Maybe you are just young in the faith and haven't got a lot of time to walk through that. And maybe you're just someone who's really never taken the time to really know who you are and how the Spirit has made you. So whether you think you know who you are or not, just want to offer some really practical ways that we can begin to discern and use our gifts. Let's consider the following. How to discern and use our gifts. First off, have you asked the Spirit? Have you asked him, Spirit, would you show me who I am? I know who I am in Jesus, but how do I live that out? Spirit of God, would you empower me with gifts? Paul, throughout the New Testament, regularly says, ask the Spirit for more gifts. 
Ask him for the higher gifts. Ask him to continually use you and send you and give you gifts for different ways of life with Jesus and his people. So have you first off, actually just ask the Spirit to fill you, to give you gifts. Second off, this might seem weird, what needs are you aware of? What needs are you aware of? Often, when you see the need or lack of something, that's a sure way to know, maybe I'm actually called to do that. Just the other day, I was talking to somebody, and they said, hey, uh, so are there any plans to put a missional community out in Virginia Beach? That's a need. We don't have any missional communities in Virginia Beach. And I said to this person, we need someone to do that. Do you think maybe the fact that you're asking me that might mean maybe you're going to be called to do that? You see the need. Do you have the gifts? Maybe not right now. Are you willing to grow into those gifts? Because you see the need. You see the lack. What do you see lacking in the family of redemption right now? What needs do you see like, wow, we really need this here in our church family? And don't just think Sunday morning. Think about all of our life together. Think about our different missional communities that we have. For you to say, I see this need, that might be a really clear way for you to know, maybe I'm called to do that because I see that need. I see that lack. For me personally, it's taken me years to realize this. It's, it's like second nature for me to just be in conversations or to see people and see where people need care or need comfort. I need encouragement. And so for a while, I just thought, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just one of those sensitive guys. You know, I'm like, you know, more emotionally in tune or whatever bullcrap the world would call it. Nate, you're gifted to shepherd people. Go shepherd people. Sit with them. Be patient with them. Cry with them. Listen to their suffering. And this doesn't mean, oh, you're a pastor shepherd. Like, you're gifted to shepherd. If I stopped being a pastor tomorrow, my gifting and capacity to shepherd would go with me. I wouldn't stop doing that. I would still want to sit and just love people and encourage them and call them to persevere in following Jesus. Do you have that desire? Do you see the need for more of that here at Redemption? Third question, what interests do you have? What desires do you naturally have within you? What are you good at? Are you good at encouraging people? Is it just easy for you? Because for some people, they're not good at that. It doesn't mean that they're jerks. It just means they're not necessarily perceptive in how people need to have encouragement. Are you maybe less good at talking with people, but really good at doing deeds, serving people, showing up, being faithful, seeing creative ways to get work done? That's a huge gift, and I do not have that gift. It doesn't mean I don't do it, though. Are you passionate about certain things in your world? Like just you're naturally prone to be really interested in certain things. Do you love studying? Do you love helping people understand things? Do you love caring for people that often get overlooked? Do you see those people and be like, wow, you know what? I think this person's really getting left out. How do you think your interests and even hobbies could actually translate to actually serving and caring for people? Have you ever thought about that? So what I want you to do is ask yourself, who do I think I am? 
who has the Spirit wired me to be? And then say, what skills do I have? What am I actually just kind of good at? You don't need to be perfect at something, but what skills do I have that I could just use? Another way to begin to discern and use your gifts is in your missional communities. Think about this. So often, again, we just slip back into this mode of solo, rogue, individual Christian. Here's my gifts. Friends, what if you learned your gifts through doing life with people? Again, shameless plug for why missional communities are so important. I'm trying to think now, how do people think that they're supposed to know their gifts? They're not actually in life with people, which is who the gifts are for. I would say the primary way to learn and explore and begin to practice your gifts is in your missional communities. Because imagine this. Imagine a world where you'd be sitting with your MC, all be together, and just take time to say, hey, Nate, so who do you think you are? Hey, Nate, what do you think you're good at? What skills do you have from the Spirit? Well, as your MC, Nate, we want to encourage you that we see this happening in your life. Nate, you seem to be good at this. Nate, actually, you seem to try to do this, and that might not be your wheelhouse. And that's okay, because someone else might be good at that. And then say, hey, Jana, what do you think you're good at? What skills do you think you've been given? And actually have this discussion within missional communities. Because so often, friends, maybe you know this, you're completely oblivious to what you're good at. You're completely oblivious to the ways that you could so easily be serving, leading, speaking with people. And you need a group of people around you to say, that is your thing. That is your gifting. You need to keep doing that. So can I just say, like, do you see how this doesn't have to be complicated? This does not have to be some overly complicated way to like figure out how you're gifted, to discern from the Spirit, what ways are you calling me into life? Another really practical tool that has been helpful is just things that help you kind of learn your personality. Some things that would maybe help you do a little bit of self-exploration that maybe you don't know how to do on your own. For some people, you're just really intuitive. You understand your past. You understand your childhood and ways that you were or were not shaped by your siblings, parents, aunts, uncles, how you interacted with the kids on the block, and then how that directly translates to who you are today. Some people can just do that. Some of us, if you're like me, you don't, you're not good at that. So there's actually really helpful ways that you can learn how do I approach my past? How do I think through trauma? What things give me energy and what things suck away my energy? There's a lot of uh, these different types of tools out there within Redemption Church and even within our broader Soma family of churches. There's this thing called the Enneagram that's nothing magical. It's nothing spiritual. But if you want to kind of begin to figure out like, you know what, like those types of things really stress me out. These things really give me life. This thing over here is like, I'm just normally, I think about the world in these categories. It can be a really helpful jump start to beginning to think through some of those things. If you are like Enneagram, what in the world is that? It's basically, it's a personality type test that I think can be really, really helpful. So if you want to talk more about that, just grab me afterwards and I will get you connected to figure that out. And so 
One thing I wanted to do is even just take a minute and just talk about, as one of our pastors, where do I see a need here? Where do I see lack in our redemption family? Where do I think that we need to grow as a church? I think that, first off, there are, a, there are much more ways that we have grown than that we need to grow. We have grown tremendously as a church in our faith. We have grown tremendously as a church in our generosity and being faithful to persevere and not letting pandemics and building collapses and about a third of our membership leaving, minimal people serving at different times, none of that has stopped us. We've been faithful to persevere as a church. And I want to commend you, especially those of you who have been here through all of that and more. You guys are to be commended for your faith in Jesus and persevering. But where does Redemption Church need to grow? Where are their gifts lacking here? I think one thing that we need is folks who are willing to step out of the shadows and be bold with their gifts. I think we need people who are not going to live in fear of trying something new, instead of recognizing where the Spirit might actually be calling you to lead or to serve and to act on it. I would ask you as your pastor, what gifts are you sitting on? What gifts do you have that you're just sitting on? Where is there maybe a false humility of, oh, I don't want to be too assertive or, oh, well, you know, I'm not that good at it, friends. That's a false humility. If you can do something in a way that would even benefit one or a couple people, probably gifted at that. And I would say, probably supposed to be doing that. Where do you need to put away a false humility and then have a humble confidence and say, I was made to do this, so I'm going to step into that. I think here at Redemption, we need folks with a gifting to just show up, to just serve to just show up in the life of your missional community when it's hard, to just show up on a Sunday morning gathering, to show up in people's lives and be present. Literally just showing up is one of the biggest things that we can do. Thankfully, Paul keeps the service category pretty broad, so there's a lot of ways to serve. Maybe specifically in our Sunday morning context, you know, when we come together as a family, there's a lot of stuff that has to go into making this happen. Where could you just show up and serve? I'm not saying, what are you good at? Like, are you good at music or are you good at, you know, clicking through buttons on a computer? But could you do it though? doesn't mean you have to be good at it. Could you be faithful to show up and serve? Could you be faithful to actually just say, I could do this. I see a need. I could step in here. Just want to say, I doubt any of you are good, would say you're good, at showing up on a rainy Sunday morning and shoveling goose poop. But you know who did that? Josh Misentone showed up today. This isn't about praising Josh. This is saying the gift is serving. The gift is being faithful. Josh showed up and was texting me saying, hey, where's the hose? Where's the scraper? There's all this goose poop. I've got to clean it up so people don't walk through goose poop on their way in. That's the gift of service, friends. And we need a lot of servants here at Redemption Church. I was joking with Josh about that. Like, never thought you'd be shoveling poop for Jesus. 
I think in many ways what Josh demonstrated today is the modern-day equivalent of foot washing back in the day. We need people who are willing to say, I'm good at making money, and my money does not define me, so I can give my money away. Not just corporately to redemption, but within the life of a missional community. I've had people say to me again and again, hey, are you guys good on money? Like, are you good? I know you guys just had a baby. I know you guys just got a new car. Are you guys good? Do you need some money this week? Oh, hey, I know your paycheck might not be coming for another two weeks. How can we help you? We need people in missional communities ready to care for the family of God in those ways. We need leaders. We need people to, again, just step up. So, in light of that, though, as your pastor, let me ask you, when do you think your gifting is for? When would most people say, oh, here's when gifting is for? Today. Sunday, right? You take a gift set to figure out, oh, are, are you good at kids? Are you good at music? Are you good at, like, being hospitable? Are you good in, like, serving food for people? Friends, all of those gifts just relate to two hours a week. What if your gifting was for the rest of the week? What if your gifting was intended to be lived out Monday through Saturday? Paul is not writing about being equipped for a Sunday morning service. Gifts can come into play there. Because Sunday is a really critical time when we all gather to be equipped and shaped and then sent back out. But your gifting, friends, is designed for seven days a week. So think through the implications of what that means in your life. Imagine if your gifting was regularly being used in the life of your missional community. Wouldn't that change the burnout rate? Wouldn't that change the typical 80-20 rule where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, which is definitely true often in the church? Imagine if the gift of encouragement, which Paul lists, imagine if that was the case in our missional communities. Places where people were regularly around each other and they had life and courage spoken into them. Imagine if people knew how to really speak the truth of Jesus over each other in suffering. Imagine if people with generosity and leadership were lavish in everyday life with other people. Imagine the people who are really creative at thinking outside the box. Imagine if those giftings were used for the sake of mission, for the sake of seeing, wow, here's this need in our city or in my neighborhood or at my workplace or in my own backyard. How could we put this together and figure that out? That's another thing I'm really not good at. But in our MC, Eric Benoit's really good. He's just good at getting crap done. Just get stuff done. He's been stepping up in huge ways, helping in that, because he sees, oh, here's this need. Hey, Nate, would it help you if I did this? Yes, Eric, it really, really helps if you can do that. So where do you see the needs? I'm just going to say this. If this begins to happen, which in one, in one sense it is happening, but I want, again, want us to fan into flame these gifts like Paul says. Missional communities will have to give birth to new missional communities. People will come and see and experience Jesus. And the church is actually going to grow up into maturity. Do you see how that works? Before we conclude on the gifts, I do want us to approach and at least discuss a little bit the topic of tongues and prophecy. We've not spoken about this yet, because I really wanted us to get a foundation built of what the gifts are for, how the gifts get used, and then say, okay, the topic of tongues and prophecy 
Maybe for some, discouraging. Maybe for others, it's divisive. What do we think about those things here at Redemption Church? So this is where we're going to spend a couple minutes before we wrap up. If you are unfamiliar with what tongues and prophecy is, these are often some of the gifts that people say have either stopped or have continued. And that's often where people post up in one of those camps. So let's talk just for a second about the gift of tongues, which in our English Bible should be translated languages, the gift of languages. In the New Testament, there are multiple places where accounts, descriptions are given of where someone was given the ability to speak in a language that they didn't know, and people actually could hear it and understand what they were saying. The gift was given in a way that often directly involved communicating truths about Jesus to other people. This gift is initially seen in Acts 2 when the Spirit comes. Does anyone know the story? And the followers of Jesus are filled with the Spirit. And there were tons of different people from different nations, backgrounds, languages there. And the disciples come out. People are like, what is going on? There's this huge wind going through the city. And they all begin to hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed in their own tongue, in their own language. It's amazing how the Spirit worked like that. And then, later throughout the life of the local churches, as they were planted, people continued to have this gift of languages. And so Paul writes about, here's how you work out that gift. So, has that gift of languages continued? We'll look at that in a second. What is prophecy? Also in the New Testament, it's evident that different people at different times were given what we'll call a spontaneous revelation from God. God spoke to them and said, say this to this person or to this group of people. These people spoke with the authority of God himself since God was speaking through them. Oftentimes it was declaring something that God had revealed to them. Sometimes it was talking about something that was going to happen in the future. So has this gift continued? Notice that, as we talked about last week, there's service gifts and speaking gifts. Both of these are speaking gifts. So, in light of kind of the grid we've been building, remember how we talked about having this missional hermeneutic, learning to ask these questions about how we approach the topic of the gifts? Let's think, would these gifts serve to build up and mature the church? Would these gifts be useful in the advance of Jesus' mission? Would these gifts work for unity and showing the beauty of the one God through the diversity of the gifts? I believe that the New Testament is very clear that these gifts are useful and that they're actually to be employed in very specific ways. Because at the end of the day, kind of the question underlying all of this is not, has the gifts continued? But the question is, does God speak to his people outside of just the Bible? Think about that. Does God speak to his people outside of just through the words of Scripture? I believe that God does speak in both of those ways. But I also think the New Testament is very clear on when and how and in what ways that is supposed to look like. So what we're going to do is look at one passage. If you flip two chapters over from where you are right now, 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to land here looking at this. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, which he's going to define what prophecy is in verse 3. Verse 2, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, 
but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I also bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Then he gives this example, you can look up for a second, of instruments. If you just start playing an instrument indiscernibly, no one's going to know what you're playing. There has to be order. There has to be structure. Look at what he says, verse 7. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's being played? Again, he gives this example from battle, like when a, when a bugle is sounded in warfare and troops are supposed to do certain things according to what they hear. The bugle gives an indistinct sound. Who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. I believe that this passage can bring a lot of clarity. And this is just one out of many passages we could look at. Paul is saying that he wishes them, this is the church in Corinth, that, he would speak in, that they would speak in tongues. But what else does he say about tongues? He says there has to be an interpretation of a tongue. Or else it's not going to build up the church. So here in our life at Redemption, do you see us regularly employing the gift of speaking in tongues and languages? You don't. But does that mean the gift has ceased? Just because we don't see it. Just because we've never seen it done. I think that just because we don't see it does not mean that there are not places around the world where God is actually using this gift of languages with clarity, with interpretation, to communicate truths of Jesus to people who don't know that in their own language. So I would say, if the Spirit granted the gift and the situation arose and there was an interpretation alongside of that gift of tongues, then we would have that gift here. But I don't believe that we actually have a need for that gift right here, right now. Here's what else I want you to notice. What does Paul say he really wants the church to grow in? He mentions this in verse 1 and verse 5. Look at your Bibles. What does he want the church to really grow in? prophecy. I think prophecy is different. With tongues, I believe right now there's not a need for that in our life here at Redemption. But it's not the same with prophecy. Prophecy is simply sharing something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. I don't believe that the modern day prophetic gift is supposed to be equated with scripture, meaning that if someone says to you, hey, I think God wanted me to share this with you, that doesn't get the level of authority that scripture gets because what happens with prophecy? It has to be tested against the authority in our scriptures. So if someone says something to you, hey, I think the Spirit's telling me to tell you this or I think I want to encourage you with this thing, but it completely goes counter to the rest of scripture, we would not hear that. We would not say that's a prophetic gift, that's a prophetic word you are bringing. And again, I don't think the point is having the office of prophet. Oh, we have people who are the prophets of redemption. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is the functioning of that gift. I think Paul's whole point is having a whole body of people who speak with power, who speak with clarity, and even spirit-empowered insight into the lives of other people. As he says in verse 3, prophecy is for what? Upbuilding, consolation, and encouragement. A prophetically gifted person is someone who can listen, 
who can discern, who has sat and met with God and then can speak with clarity about what God has said to them. I think we have a huge need for that here at Redemption. Huge need for that. Because like tongues, as I said, there's a testing process. Just because someone says they have a gift of prophecy or want to share a word of encouragement or consolation or upbuilding, just because they say that doesn't mean that's legit. Does it line up with scripture? Does it build up the church? Let me say one last thing on this, guys. There's room for disagreement on this in redemption. I'm not saying that we should all disagree. I hope that, we, that you would agree with me on this. And if you don't, I would actually like to hear your point of view, maybe your background, different things that you would bring to this discussion. But so often, either here or maybe in your background, we define ourselves by what we're against rather than what we're for. And I think with this issue here with the gifts, specifically these speaking gifts of tongues and prophecy, if you disagree with me on that, does that mean you have to leave redemption? No. I think there's room. I think in light of the story in the gospel that we have been called into, there is room for Christians to disagree and say, I actually don't think that. I, I would look at this in a different way. Friend, there's space for you here at Redemption. We want you here with us at Redemption, even if you disagree with that stance. So as we wrap up this little mini-series on the gifts, let's remember who Paul was actually talking to in Ephesians and in Corinth. He was talking to groups of people who were about, who were about as different as they could be. Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, all these people mixing together, and he's telling them, you're all going to be gifted in different ways. The point is unity. He's telling them to guard unity. And the word he uses like soldiers guarding a fortress. We will do anything possible to protect this unity that we have. I'm going to go against all common sense in a sermon and drop one last big quote on you. Scott was here, he'd be like, dude, you shouldn't do that. But I think this quote is amazing. And if you want to take a picture of it and chew on it later, I would really encourage you to do that. This quote, which we'll put up there, comes from this monster book, which can kill roaches and hurt your toe. But if you have questions, A, about anything in the Bible, but specifically about the gifts, this is one of the top books I would recommend. It's called Systematic Theology. Big word basically means taking theological categories and saying holistically, here's what the Bible says about this, about this, about this. Fantastic book. Would recommend it. Wayne Grudem. He's a good friend of redemption, so he doesn't know it, though. So let's look at this quote, and then we will be done. The practical outcome of this discussion is that we should be willing to recognize and appreciate people who have gifts that differ from ours and whose gifts may differ from our expectations of what certain gifts should look like. Moreover, a healthy church will have a great diversity of gifts. And this diversity should not lead to fragmentation, but to greater unity among believers in the church. Paul's whole point in the analogy of the body with many members, which is what Desiree had read for us earlier, is to say that God has put us in the body with these different parts so that we might depend on each other. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. It runs counter to the world's way of thinking to say, we will enjoy greater unity when we join closely together with those who are different from us. But that is precisely the point that Paul makes 
in 1 Corinthians 12, demonstrating the glory of God's wisdom and not allowing anyone to have all the necessary gifts for the church, but requiring us to depend upon each other for the proper functioning of the church. So Redemption Church, where is the Spirit calling you to step into your gifts? Where do you need to learn to play your part in the story? Garrett, can we put that slide up, the one I had mentioned to you? Where out of the story are your gifts now showing you who you are? Your gifts help you figure out, here's who you are. Here's how you live out your identity. Then what does that lead you to? It leads you to mission. It leads you to the way of, of, this is how I know how to show Jesus to people who don't know him. So on unity, which is the goal of this, where right now is there disunity? We want to land on unity. We're talking about the gifts, but we land on unity. Where is there disunity in your life? Where is there discord with people at redemption? Where either through gossip or slander or disagreement on things from politics or vaccines or all kinds of other things, where's their disunity and where do we need to say no? We are going to guard our unity like soldiers guard a fort. Do you have work to do as it relates to unity? Remember Custer in the Battle of Little Bighorn when the gifts didn't work together and when there wasn't unity, disaster happens. But thank God that the Spirit is working. He's at work here at Redemption. He's working for our unity. He's again, what is he doing? He's calling to see this big story again and again. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.